Aloha and welcome to Elevating Motherhood. I'm so glad you're here. I'm your host, Lori Beth Aldridge. I've taken my passion for conversation, perspective, and supporting moms and turned it into a podcast. My goal is to talk openly about motherhood, offer new ideas, and help moms find their confidence in this busy and sometimes overwhelming world we live in. We're going to dive deep, open up, and elevate motherhood. Thanks for being here with me. Let's get started. Thanks to Branch Basics for supporting today's episode of Elevating Motherhood. Branch Basics is an educational company that offers non-toxic, simple-to-use cleaning solutions for your home using one powerful plant and mineral-based cleaning concentrate. You can literally use their one concentrate to clean everything from bathrooms and windows to floors and laundry. I even use it to wash my fruits and veggies and sometimes my face. That is how universal this cleaning product really is. Simply dilute their safe, effective cleaner into their refillable bottles. The instructions are right on the label. Branch Basics has been an amazing addition to our home. I'm always looking for ways to reduce my family's toxic burden and Branch Basics fits the bill. Plus their goals align with mine to make cleaning sustainable, affordable, and simple. Head over to elevatingmotherhood.com forward slash Branch Basics for my personal review of their products. That's elevatingmotherhood.com forward slash Branch Basics. We don't shy away from topics here on Elevating Motherhood, mostly because I believe it's time we break through myths and assumptions with real conversations, resources, and perspective, just like we're doing with today's guest. And like we did in episode 15, intro to CBD, when I interviewed Will Clyden, the CEO of Ojai Energetics a B Corps that produces high quality, organic, water-soluble CBD. So many moms wanted to know more about CBD, so I went straight to a credible source. Ojai Energetics has extended a special offer for Elevating Motherhood listeners, free shipping on every order, plus a free tube of sports gel if you order three bottles or more. Head over to elevatingmotherhood.com forward slash CBD for more info on CBD, links to my interview with Will, and the special offer from Ojai Energetics. That's elevatingmotherhood.com forward slash CBD. I am so glad you are here for the 49th episode of Elevating Motherhood and for this mama, Angela Braniff, this conversation, her book, her message, all of it. Angela and I started talking about her new book, Love Without Borders, how bold faith opens the door to embracing the unexpected and very quickly moved into a deep dive about the heart of modern motherhood. This episode has all the things, all the elements, all the encouragement we need to hear right now. Angela Braniff is the founder of the popular YouTube channel, This Gathered Nest. I'm sure a lot of you have heard of her before. She is an adoption advocate, homeschool mom, content creator, podcast host, and adventure seeker. Angela is married to her high school sweetheart, CR, and together they have a full house. Kennedy is 12. She's their biological daughter. Shelby is 10. That's their second biological daughter. Rosie is seven. She is adopted from China. Noah is seven and he is adopted from Congo. Jonah is five and was adopted domestically. And finally, Ivy and Amelia are 18 month old twins adopted as embryos and Angela gave birth to them. And she shares that incredible and inspiring journey in her book, Love Without Borders. And Adding to their family of seven kids, after the book was finished, Angela and CR welcomed their eighth child, Benjamin, through adoption. Angela lives in North Carolina and has been featured in People, Today, Up TV, BuzzFeed, and so many other places. And I am humbled and thrilled she is here now on Elevating Motherhood. 
we talk about all the things and I was going to list them off for you before I got started, but I thought, you know what? I just want you to know that I am so excited about this conversation that while editing it, I actually had to like get up and walk away twice because I was just like so energized and so full of inspiration and just smiling. And I felt like I had to go tell someone. So I like walked upstairs twice and was like, honey, you're not going to believe this. This conversation is just incredible. And I, it's hard for me to sit on it because I just want to share it like immediately with all my yayas, with all my sisters, with all my mamas so that they understand too. And they can hear this wonderful light and inspiration that Angela speaks into us today. So without further ado, let's welcome the incredible and gracious Angela Braniff to the show. Aloha, Angela. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being here. Hi, thank you so much for having me. This is such an honor. I absolutely loved your book and I love the work that you're doing and the life that you're living. So I'd love for my listeners to hear more about you from you, you know, your story, what you do, your journey, your multiple projects are all so unique and I really admire them. Tell us more about them. Yeah, so I am, well, first and foremost, I'm a wife and married to my high school sweetheart, and we have eight children, uh, which is a lot, but we love it at the same time. Um, So many of our children are adopted, and we've kind of done everything from domestic adoption to international adoption to even an embryo adoption. Um, So I'm pretty well versed in the adoption world. Uh, We homeschool. I'm going on my eighth year, if I can do that math, of homeschooling. Um, And I still, the first few years were really rough. Now I really love it. I'm getting in my groove. So it's a long time to get into a groove, but I'm I'm glad that I'm there. Um, And then, you know, I've create all of these different types of content online. I create videos on two different YouTube channels and I wrote a book and I'm just kind of sharing my life and uh, the importance of motherhood and family um, and, you know, my heart for adoption and vulnerable children and, uh, you know, just kind of using my platforms to hopefully spread a little bit of uh, happiness and joy and some encouragement to other mamas. You do. You spread so much aloha. It's wonderful. (laughs) I really admire the work that you do. And like I said, I loved your book, Love Without Borders. And I would actually say it's for every mom out there. Um, I know that a lot of your followers and listeners um, know you for your adoption journey. And I'd say that this book is absolutely about an adoption journey and a parenting journey, which is so, it was so interesting. I was so enthralled. But it's, it's more than that too. And it wasn't the adoption piece that really hooked me. It was this idea of bold faith. And it yeah. just kept me on the edge of my seat. And it also made me feel so understood. I'm actually like having a, like a visceral reaction. I pay attention to that. I say it on my show all the time. My listeners will be like, oh, there she goes again. But like my heart just feels warm. Like my chest feels warm. I love that um, bold faith element. So could, would you mind talking more about that piece and what that looks like for you? Yeah, I think that, um, and I'm so glad that you said that and grateful that you said that because one of the things that when I was writing this book was I didn't want it to come across as a book about adoption, Um, that that's my life and my journey and our story, uh, but it's definitely not likely to be someone else's as well. And so what I wanted people to take away from the book was the idea of bold faith and the idea of walking through the open doors that God puts in your life. And for me, that started out as just very simple, small acts of obedience of feeling like God was saying, hey, I've got something for you. Come with me. And we get a little bit anxious and nervous about those kinds of things, especially when they are countercultural, right? Especially when yes. there's something that maybe potentially bucks the system a little bit or Uh, makes us look a little bit weird or strange uh, and where people start to kind of question your sanity a little bit and you start to feel like, okay, am I the only one? Uh, But to me, that idea of bold faith is, is leaning into that is running right, you know, head straight into it. um, And just saying, Lord, it doesn't matter what everyone else is doing. Like I'm going to put my blinders on and I'm just going to keep following you. 
uh, where you want me to go and what you want me to do. Because uh, the world has all kinds of ideas about how we should live our lives and what we should do. Uh, but there is literally no better plan for your life than handing it over to God and letting him direct your steps. And your life will probably look nothing like what you thought that it would. Uh, but at least for me, and I'm you know, sure for you too, you look at that and you're just so grateful that that you made that choice and that you walked through those open doors because you couldn't have picked this life for yourself, but you wouldn't have traded it for anything. Right. Amen to all of that. I feel that on such a deep level, if I had tried to get in the way of the plan for my life, if you will, I could not have dreamed of being a personal assistant to an international rock star for almost a decade. And the joy and the awesomeness and the homeschool doors that that opened and like led me to this part of my life and just acting in that faith and doing that, you know, marrying the man that I did, living on Maui, having miniature goats and fancy chickens and three curls and all of this stuff. It's like, I, if I had to paint a dream life for myself, this is it. But a lot of that is walking in that bold faith, like you said. And the term obedience is really interesting to hear you say, because I guess I never thought of it in those in that term, that this is obedience, but it really is. Obedience kind of translates into like the faith to walk through those open doors, because I guess by doing that, you're obeying, but then there's the faith piece of it and the vulnerability and the newness and all of these different things. But I do like that it's summarized in that word obedience, because it's countercultural to go, you know, with that, if you will, like to obey something. They're like, I'm not going to obey anything. You know, I, I do my own thing. But the funny thing is doing your own thing actually translates into obedience. So yeah, I think obedience gets a bad rap because when we think of that word, we think of somebody with their thumb on top of us. We think yes. of somebody telling us what to do. We think of being marginalized or oppressed in some kind of way when we think of being obedient. Um, but really what's the beautiful thing about God is that when we're obedient to him, um, he's just refining us and making us more holy and more like him, which in turn makes us happier because that's where our joy comes from. Um, and so it's, it's kind of hard to hold those two things together and to make sure that we're defining those words, how he wants us to define them and not necessarily um, in that sort of visceral reaction to the word obedience is like, you know, to kind of brush up against that in a rough way and not, not see it that way, to see it as a loving father who wants what's best for us and knows what's best for us better than we do. Um, and so being obedient will, will take us there. Yeah. Thank you for that reframe, because like you said, it's, it's very, not the cultural norm, but I think that it's one that would serve us to really re-examine the word obedience and what that looks like in our life. It's so interesting. You're right. Cause it has nothing to do with the thumb and everything to do with the lifting up um, to your full potential. I love that. Um, the other part of bold faith that was so validating for me in your book was your openness to symbolism and messages in everyday life, paying attention and giving credit to those signs in our life, like have given me so much positive direction and peace. It's like almost like the map, if you will, to those open doors. And there are moments I'm sure that other people think that I'm super woo-woo when I give merit to the symbolism and the messages and stuff. And then it sounds crazy to other people when I say things like, I knew I was going to have three daughters. Like I just knew it without a shadow of a doubt. And my husband and I knew their, the names of the first two, not because we picked them, but because those were the names that they came with, like almost like we didn't have a choice. So your Rose and Rosie story, as I was hearing that, I mean, I have chills now just thinking about it, but I, it just made me feel so understood. So thank you for that. But I, I do want to ask you, like, what is that? Like, what would you call that paying attention to those signs and symbols? Is it the Holy Spirit for you? Is it God's voice? Like, what, what is that? Yeah, you know, I think that a lot of people have these moments in their life where they're trying to connect the dots, and it's very easy to, to be honest, it's very easy to write them off as coincidence, right? Happenstance, that's just, you know, a, a matter of statistics, right? Eventually, something's going to line up, the stars will align kind of a thing. Yeah. Um, but for me in my life, um, it has always been an example of divine providence. 
it's not coincidences. And I choose, I, I make the choice to not see it as coincidence. I make the choice to see it as divine providence. Because to me, especially when you know Rosie's story and how all of that came together, to me, it was just so obvious that I felt that it was undeniable that God was leading us to this little girl. I mean, how does that happen by any other, uh, by any other definition or any other way to try to explain how you would have this seed planted in your heart for the name of a child and four years later it would come to fruition in, a, in, in details that can't be explained. Um, and so to me, you know, I, you know, a lot of people will sort of, you know, the, what is that called? The God of the gaps, right? If you can't explain it with science, then we can explain it with faith. And a lot of people will brush that away. Um, but to me, uh, those are ever present moments in my life and that strengthen my faith and really help me to see um, God's hand in my life. And I just choose to see them as divine providence and his leading and his his voice in my life and him guiding me because at least for me, I've, I've never heard God's audible voice in my life. Um, it's always been these little details um, and these little things that I feel like are little nudges and almost like little breadcrumbs um, to mm -hmm. kind of follow and go along with. So everybody has their own sort of spiritual journey with that stuff. But I think um, having something to anchor those things to uh, certainly can't hurt in your life, you know, having some way that you choose to lean in and listen to those things, uh, I, I think can help anybody, you know, whatever your, your faith is, uh, to feel like there, there's more direction. Mm -hmm. Yes. I was scribbling notes. Um, I love that you called it divine providence. I love that. I think it's a term that, or an idea, something again, we can meditate on in our own motherhood life and, and see what that looks like for us, what that translates to, how we see that. And then just like you said, the breadcrumbs and just being aware of it feels so important. Um, just being aware that we are active participants in our life and everything that's happening around us too, and that we're being called to action constantly is what I feel like it is. We're not here to sit around and you know, just notice things and not do anything with the information, but we are here to co-create and to lift others up and to be a light. And, and it, it, to me, it just makes sense that we would look for these symbols and these signs um, that give us direction and validation that we are indeed moving in the right direction and acknowledging the spiritual, I think is an element that's missing for so many moms because they, assign that to religion or some other turn off, some other thumb on you, you know, idea that our culture tries to sell us that, you know, oh, it's just another way to try to control you or no, there's a spiritual element to motherhood and we are forgetting about that. But it also feels low on the totem pole because so many of us are busy dealing with the physical, mental, emotional parts of ourselves too. And we're not necessarily getting those right, it feels like a lot. I mean, not that there's any getting it right or wrong, but I just know that that's a sentiment and an emotion that a lot of moms have is that they're just not enough and they're not doing it right. And, and, you know, eventually we'll get to the spiritual, but if we move that spiritual into that list and actually have that be the top thing of the mental, physical, emotional, we will feel a lot better, I think. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Totally agree. I love that. Oh my gosh. In your book, you also say that we're living in a time when the narrative is that children are a burden and get in the way of our dreams, but you believe the opposite. First of all, hallelujah. Thank you. Yes, I agree with you 100%. And I'd really appreciate it if you would talk with us about this truth and speak light into our motherhood on this one, because this is a huge topic right now. Yeah, this is something that I am incredibly passionate about, um, is this, the narrative that has been given to mothers and that just, just being a mother is a burden, right? Raising children is just a burden. Uh, we have all of these websites and Instagram accounts and things that have all these funny memes and stuff. And of course, there's some thread of truth in the things that they're saying. But it's also very degrading to women and to mothers and to children. Um, and I'm very anti that message uh, because not only the internalized message that we as women take in for ourselves is that we're some kind of martyr, 
right? We're not a mother, we're a martyr. That's not true. That's not true at all. And then not only are we internalizing that um, and letting it have this cloud over our lives that tell us that what we're not doing or what we're doing isn't valuable. Uh, What we're doing isn't, uh, there's so many bigger, better things we could be doing out there. Uh, But we also then, that message is getting sent to our children that they are a burden to us and that the act of, of raising them or, you know, whatever your situation looks like with your children, whether it's homeschooling or public schooling, uh, a stay-at-home mom or a working mom, but that the children are the, the problem in the scenario, right? There's all these little pieces of the puzzle you got to put together in your life, but the children are the problem piece. And to me, first of all, it's utterly ridiculous because, again, all you know, faith things aside, like just brass tacks, like let's talk about as people have, you know, evolved over time and um, various species and things like that. Mothers are the linchpin of all of that. They are the ones who produce the offspring that create the next generation. They're the ones that move our societies forward. And throughout history, if we look at how societies treat children is very indicative of what type of society they are. And when I, my fear is that when future scholars look back on our generation, they're going to see a generation that did not value children or mothers, that saw them strictly as a burden. Um, And part of this is, and I'm, you know, I don't want to get like too, too off the rails here, but in terms of, you know, with second wave feminism, it's awesome that it got women out into the workforce doing things that they wanted to be doing, go be an astronaut, be a doctor, do whatever you want. But we have a really hard time holding to truth that you can both choose to not have children and be an astronaut. Uh, and that's amazing and a wonderful choice for women, or you can choose to get married and have three children and stay home with your children. And that is also an amazing and wonderful life and calling on your life. It's not either or. And so for me, it's just something that I see when I look around. I'm like, I'm so tired of seeing moms with their heads hung down when you say, well, people say, what do you do? I'm just, I'm just a mom. I'm just a stay at home mom. You're not just a mom. Like you're raising the next generation of thinkers, of politicians, of medical specialists, um, of, of soldiers or of whatever else. Like we're raising those humans now and you're investing and sowing the seeds into the hearts of these children every single day. There is no more important job. There is no more important job. And that has become a cliche, right? To say that being a mom is the most important job. Our society is dead. We're done without that. We're done. So women, I, my like call to arms is for mothers to take that back because the only reason that it continues and that it permeates is because we allow it. If we take that back and we say we will no longer allow uh, motherhood to become something that is seen as less than, we won't see ourselves that way. We won't see each other that way. We'll speak truth and life over each other and our kids. Um, and we're going to take this back and we're going to bring back the dignity that it deserves and the honor that it deserves. Uh, and we're, we will accept nothing less. That's where I would like to see mothers get to. Yes. And thank you for the third word of the day, dignity. <laughs> that, is, that is absolutely what we should be after. And you're right. We are modeling this for our kids. We're feeling it very deeply because we feel very deeply. And when you're describing the role of moms and the importance of it, and absolutely, we are the glue that holds it all together. We are the, the crux of it all. And when you talk about that, it feels very empowering. And it is up to us to step into that power and acknowledge it. And sometimes I think that first step to acknowledging it is honoring it in other women too, seeing it in other women. So sometimes if we feel because we're coming from that cultural thing of uh, martyrdom, you know, this message that a lot of us have bought into, because we're coming from that, sometimes it's hard for us to see the power within ourselves. So I would almost encourage listeners that if you are finding yourself in that martyrdom 
stage of your life. It's not your whole story that to look for that power in other women and celebrate that and lift them up and shine a light on that. Because the more you see that in other moms, you can also see it in yourself too, or maybe it's an inside job for you too. Maybe the first step is actually to see that in yourself, model that for your children, and then also start to celebrate that in others, but then also model it for other moms too. I think that you do such an amazing job of that, of, of getting rid of that lie of it has to be either or, or that one is more important than the other, because that is just not the case. There is room for all of us in this world, and we all have different journeys and messages and and all of this. I'm just, yes, to all the things. I'm sure you saw me nodding like a fiend the entire time you were talking. <laughs> and you talk about outside the lines of normal in your book and then here too in this show. And I get that so, so, so much um, because you're a homeschool family. You know, we are too. And that's just part of that counterculture life that I actually love so much. So would you mind talking with us about how, what living life outside the lines of normal has done for you and your family? Like, do you find it brings you more peace and joy to live in your truth in that way? Yes, it both, the, the, the truth of the matter is though, and I feel like this needs to be said is that it will bring you hardships and some pain too. Yes but it will bring you the, that, that inner peace and joy that you need to carry on because there's no path that you can choose that will uh, keep you outside of the possibility of having difficult and hard things, right? Like that is life. Um, but the peace and the joy to go on with those things, I think comes from the satisfaction of really knowing and believing strongly in what you're doing and the choices that you're making and not just feeling like those choices were made for you by some, uh, obscure checklist somewhere that the happy life checklist, right. Um, but that you made those choices for yourself and for your family and for your life. And for me outside of the box and outside of the lines, really just this simple, it's very simply like not looking to anyone else's expectations of me as a wife and as a, a mother and as a business owner and as an entrepreneur and as a homeschool teacher and as an author and all of these little hats, these little tiny hats that I wear, um, you know, every day is that nobody else gets to make those definitions of what my life should look like because of this, right? Like it's not, oh, you are this, so you must also then be that. It's a, a very just sort of clear owning of my own story, my path, my choice that I've made in my life to, to do things a little bit differently and, um, and to not look for necessarily someone else's roadmap. It's, I think inspiration is wonderful. I think uh, I, I look to people all the time that I follow and watch and listen to that are inspiring to me, but I'm never trying to use them as a template for my own life. I'm just trying to be inspired and encouraged by the ways that they are uh, living life. And it's so funny because I feel like you see and, you know, when you follow people, I, I, this is one of the great things about social media, is that when you follow people who are living outside of those sort of norms, it's so, you watch them and they do, they seem to have some kind of monopoly on this peace and joy that they have in their hearts and for their lives. And it's like, hmm, wow, they're doing things very differently. And by these standards, they really shouldn't be all that happy. They live in a tiny home. They live in an RV and travel around. They're home all day with all these kids. Why would you want to do that? Send them off to school, you know, whatever it is. But really, those people are the ones that seem to have this little fire in them, just like this light in their eyes. It's like they are really living their life. Um, and that's something that I'm very inspired by. So for me, I've just found that the closer I get to just trying to conform, the, the, less, the less fulfilled I am, the less passionate I am about what I'm doing, uh, the less joy and peace I have, uh, that that seems to come for me when I let go of that and I quit trying to align and I just like lean into, again, where I'm at, my journey, my path, my family. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, I, to all the things, uh, the first thing that really struck me was 
like you said, it would actually sometimes be easier to conform. It feels like there, I, there have been a couple of times within the last year, 2020 has really been a doozy. Where, where <laughs> what even I, is this year? It doesn't I, even I don't count. even know. I don't, I don't even know, know what this year is. <laughs> <laughs> but I was thinking, gosh, it'd just be so much easier to go along with the current, even if I drown, than to swim upstream and do my own thing. But then ironically, even with that metaphor, like I feel like by me following my own path, I'm actually going with the stream. And it seems like everybody else is swimming upstream from where I sit, because it's much easier to do my own thing. And that you do, there are hardships that come along with that and really rethinking things and a lot of the convenience of just like falling into the norm, norm, whatever that means, um, goes away. But we are made for hard things. Absolutely. We so. are. So we when, are humans are humans mm -hmm. want to overcome. We mm -hmm. actually have this like need within us to face some level of adversity and to do hard things. It's part of the way our brains are wired to overcome things and to persevere and to keep doing. And that's why we've been such such an inventive species over the years and have created some of the things we have is because we look for ways to overcome. Uh, and that's something that instead of running from when, like you said, when you lean into it, you find that you actually are the one going down, you know, the, the smooth current when everyone else seems to be swimming upstream. You find that it's actually opposite. Yeah. I love that you talk about being clear about owning our choices too, which feels so important to own our choices because again, with the cultural narrative that we're fed, that's so toxic is that there's this pressure to be right all the time, but there isn't necessarily any right or wrong all the time. There's good and evil and, and intentions and all of that sort of stuff. But from a basic standpoint of like, there is this pressure to be right all the time, say the right thing, do the right thing, make the right choices. And so I think that's where some of the conforming, if you will, comes into play. But when you step out of that and are clear about owning your choices and taking responsibility for the outcome, whether that be, you know, good, bad, and different, whatever, there's just so much freedom in that. And then life becomes a series of lessons and a journey rather than like a checklist of, okay, you were right today, A plus. Okay, you were right today, A plus. You know, we're not, we're not aiming for that anymore. Yeah, definitely. I think that, that that, again, that checklist and just the idea that there is a right and a wrong way, I think that that is such a dangerous message, especially in terms of motherhood, um, because then that pits us against each other because if I'm doing it the right way, then you're doing it the wrong way. Right. And it becomes, when I say I homeschool my kids, that becomes an indictment on the fact that you don't. And that is so problematic to me because it's, it's messing up our relationships with other women, which we need. We need community. We need people. Uh, we need to live in community with each other. And we can't do that if we're constantly looking for, well, I, I feed my kids this way and you do. Oh, do you let your kids cry it out? Oh, I don't do that. And I, it's a right and wrong balance constantly if that's how we choose to view it. Um, Barring, of course, physical harm and hurting other people. Mm -hmm. That's obviously, there's a hard line there. But other than that, uh, it, a lot of things are, are, are going to be very personally um, dependent on how your family functions and all that kind of stuff. Um, but mothers sort of looking at it as like this dichotomy that there's only this, that there's black and white. And it's just not that simple. Um, and the more that we can see the nuance, the more that we can see the gray, and the more that we can approach things with other mothers and just other people in general, but specifically related to motherhood, with a, an idea that the intent is good, that all of us, our intent is good. We want to be good mothers. We want to raise good children um, and that we all have the same like heart and intent behind the choices that we're making but how that plays out in our life might look a little bit different um, but yeah I would love to see some of those those hard lines blurred a little bit so that women could embrace each other uh, as mothers and not as like competition and there's no it's not a zero-sum game you know like we are all just doing the best that we can um, and it's just, I don't know, I, I get so like really worked up about this because having traveled to different parts of the world and seen um, mothers of various cultures and the way that they raise their children, the way that their lives look, it's always so disheartening to me 
the the way that we will put parameters on what being a good mother looks like in a way that is impossible for other women in other parts of the world and um, with other cultural standards and stuff, it's impossible for them to meet our good mother standards. Um, but in fact, they are wonderful mothers and they love their children very much. They might not be able to cart them to six different activities. Their kids might sleep on a mattress on the floor instead of on a bed frame, but they're wonderful mothers and they love their children. And so I just wish that we could, we could pull that apart a little bit and really get to the heart of it is that we all love our children and want what's best for them. Mm -hmm. I agree wholeheartedly. That baseline of just seeing another mother and knowing that their heart is in a really great place and a very loving space and that they are wonderful despite all the details. Like you said, they're just so extraneous. When you really break it down to the heart of every mother, it's just so much easier to connect on that level. I mean, honestly, I think that's the secret sauce in some of my mom's groups, like how we can be so different and from multiple countries all over the world, not even speaking the same language, not having the same religious or political beliefs. And we can all still be friends because when it comes down to it, we sought each other out and supported each other at a time when we needed to be seen as just a mom. Um, regardless of all those hard lines, like you said. And I would like to see a normalization of this idea that my life choices aren't a commentary on somebody else's. Same, same yeah. with somebody else. You know, their choice to parent a certain way is not a commentary or a point of comparison for what it is I should or shouldn't be doing. You know, so Absolutely. when you talked about that, I was like, yes, 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 yes. In fact, I don't know how to change this. Do we just show up every day on Instagram and repost the same thing over and over again? <laughs> <You know? laughs> oh my gosh. I, influencer culture is actually something I wanted to talk with you about You're because you're so dynamic and you have multiple roles and different public presence. And I just listened to an episode of your, well, that escalated quickly podcast with your husband. Um, yeah. Episode eight was about the truth about influencers. And I thought it was really powerful. And again, I nodded all the way through that as I was doing my dishes. Um, and I love how you talk about yourself and your role online, your boundaries, your intentions. And you, you kind of touched on it just a second ago, but we follow other moms online, other influencers or content creators or whatever you want to call it. And I want to encourage moms to have a healthy relationship with social media and the followers and kind of gain more inspiration and ideas and just good feelings as opposed to a lot of what's happening now. So I wanted to ask you what advice you have for them and us, because we follow other people too, right? Even if we are influencers. Yeah. I get influenced all the time. <laughs> yeah, same. I get it. I get it. Like, what terminology do we even use for this? That's how new all of this stuff is. And you kind of touched on that in the episode too. This is like, the, it feels like the wild, wild west, like a whole new frontier, even though it's been going on for a little while. So what advice do you have for like how we see them or interact with them or compare to them or label or I don't even know how to talk about it. Yeah, you know, I think this is, it's such a point of contention for women because uh, it's our, our motherhood and the way that we take care of our families and raise our kids is, uh, it's just so deeply embedded in how we see ourselves. And so, again, we look at what other women are doing and we then make that about us. Well, she's doing that and I'm not, that makes me a bad mom. She's a good mom, I'm a bad mom. Um, and we really internalize so much of what we see from other people online. And it's very difficult because there's it's sort of this double-edged sword, right? Influencers, a lot of them, wouldn't be where they are. They wouldn't have the platforms and stuff that they do if they just constantly were like, bear it all, 100%. Here's my messy bathroom. Here's me looking like a, I don't know, a bridge troll. Like, yeah, we, people want an element of perfection. And they say that they don't, but they do. do. Uh, that's why yeah. Pinterest and all that kind of stuff exists because we have these like big dreams of this element of like perfection and what would look like perfection to us, what we think it would look like. Um, and then we get a little bit fed up with it though. When it starts, it's too much, too much, too much. We're seeing our own mess all over the floor while we're seeing her perfectly clean house. And now we're getting a little ticked about it. We're like, you know, I'm a little bit sick of seeing all your perfection. Okay, just enough with that. You're not being real. You're not relatable. Mm -hmm. And 
the influencer is over there going, I'm just doing the same thing I've always done. Um, and I think that what we need to do as consumers, because I am both somebody who shares online, but also a consumer, is really be better about putting people into, I kind of have two categories in my mind of people that I follow. I follow some people for that inspiration. I know that their feed is going to look beautiful. Their pictures are going to look beautiful. Their kids are going to look all put together. They're not going to have syrup in their hair. They're not going to have dirt under their fingernails. They're going to look like they took a bath this year. Like everything is going to look perfect. And, and I need to know that that's not reality. And you, and we need to just like accept that that person does not have to show us their mess for us to know they have their mess. We are all grown adults, or we probably are at least, uh, grown adults and should be able to recognize that that is not a full picture, right? It's just like any other media we consume with television and movies and stuff like that. We're able to accept that those things are not reality. Those love stories and everything, we, you know, we roll our eyes like, oh, that's not how that happens. We know that. Internally, we know that. And because social media is so new, we need to get that lens for social media too. We need to be able to recognize. I think with things like Instagram stories and stuff, it does make things feel very personal. So we think, oh, we're really getting an inside look at this person, but it's still a curated version. So that's like one category of people that I follow is I just accept that everything's gonna look perfect. I know it's not, like I said in the episode, like I know that she was all up in the bathroom with that Perry bottle, spraying down her burning hemorrhoids <laughs> after she gave birth. Like, I know the reality, okay? Um, but she doesn't have to show me. I'll accept that. If that's how she's using her platform, I don't, I don't, you don't have to show me your mess if you don't want to. Right. The other, the other half are people that I follow because to me, they are relatable. They're relatable to me. That's a very important distinction is that relatable is different for everybody. What's relatable mm -hmm. to one person may not be relatable to another. And this is an area I think we slip up a lot is wanting everyone to be relatable to us. There are vast swaths of people who have big giant houses with massive kitchens and beautiful homes and housekeeper and all that stuff that is relatable to other people who are of that same uh, class, if you will, or of that same uh, use of their funds and money. Uh, but there are other people who are sharing very frugal things and everything's coming from the dollar store and it doesn't matter if it's organic, it doesn't matter if it's sustainable, it doesn't matter uh, if it came from, a, you know, a, another country, it was imported, like none of that matters. They just need to do what they can afford to do. Cheap, 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 right? Those are two very different groups of people. Uh, but there, and so one's not going to be relatable to the other. So if we're looking at that one content and expecting everyone's content to be relatable to us, uh, that is an unfair expectation. Uh, so I try to then have this other group of people that I follow that are people that are relatable to me, people that uh, maybe have a large family or that homeschool or that there's some aspect of their life that I see myself in um, and that I enjoy following. And those people often are a little more candid in their posts. They're sharing a little more behind the scenes kind of stuff, a little bit more of their mess. Uh, I like to see that too. Um, but like anybody else, if somebody was just coming online all the time and constantly complaining about their kids, their spouse, their messy house, whatever, you'd stop following them then too. So it's like this razor thin line that we put people on. And I think really the onus is on us as consumers to, um, to choose to, to see people for what they are and what they bring to us. Um, and if that's not good anymore, if it's not good for us mentally, if it's not good for us emotionally, you can always unfollow, you can mute people. Mute is one of the greatest things that Instagram has ever given us as the mute button. So if you just need to quiet somebody in your feed for a little while, because it's too much for your heart right now, you can't do it, then, then do that. Um, but I just, I'm a very big believer in taking ownership of our feelings, our emotions, whether they're good ones or bad ones. If we're feeling jealous, let that roll around, ruminate on it, you know, deal with it a little bit, figure out why you're jealous. Is it something that you really want for your life and you just need to figure out how to make it happen? Or is it something that's never going to happen, 
Um, and you need to stop following that because it's unhealthy for you. So there's lots of introspection that I think needs to happen as consumers of the online space, but it's especially uh, uh, dangerous for moms if we can't get a good grip on it uh, because of how we internalize it. Thank you for the next word of the day, introspection. <laughs> That's, that's you were so awesome. I knew you were going to be awesome. And I'm like, yes, we basically have like this recipe. You're giving us like ingredients one at a time um, for this awesome life. And I do want to say before I forget, legit didn't know there was a mute button. Thank you for that. Didn't know. Oh, it's Instagram. amazing. Yeah. Uh, now I know. Now I know. Um, and you mentioned the razor thin line. Boy, isn't that the truth? Because I feel like we're trying to live and balance on this razor thin line and find just everyone that just aligns with us or that there's this cultural lie that there's a one size fits all answer for anything. And there just is not. So there it's, it's taking the stuff that is inspirational with the stuff that's relatable. It's feeling understood and then feeling inspired to grow and change and do things that elevate us in our motherhood journey and, and elevate our children and our families. And, you know, we're lifelong learners. And so we need that inspiration piece in my mind. So like you said, and people are, are sharing what it is they're comfortable with. And I appreciate a well curated feed. I just, I do. I love people's pages that are just beautiful and inspiring. And then there is an element of relatability too, but it can't be everything all perfect all at once in the exact same post over and over again, every single day, 365 days a year with special attention to the holidays. You know, it's just, that's just not what it is. And so we do have to be introspective. We do have to take responsibility for what it is we're allowing into our life. The messages of martyrdom, the messages of inspiration or not, you know, and I love that you're talking about working through these emotions and that feelings like jealousy are normal. And there's something that all of us experience, whether our feed you know, talks about it or not, or other people's feeds talk about it or not. We have frustration or rage or triggers and all of these different things. And to pause and to think about those things. And what was it that, you know, caused me to feel that way? And is it something fickle in the moment, which we all also have too? Um, or is it something deeper? Is this something I need to work on a little bit longer? Or is this something that I could just resolve by unfollowing or muting that person? You know, there's, there's different things we can do. And I think that this particular season, again, to circle it back around to the wildness that is 2020, you know, this might be an amazing time to hit the mute button on a lot of areas in our life. Yes. <laughs> Um, There's a lot is, I wish I could mute. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. Pretty much, pretty much everything some days. Thank heavens. I have lots of children and animals to um, bring me back to reality and um, the basics of life for sure. Like making sure everyone and every creature in my life is fed and getting adequate sleep for sure. <laughs> yes. Oh, I love that. I'm going to link to your podcast in the show notes too. And um, before we go though, because adoption is such a big part of your story and it's so inspirational and moving and powerful. I definitely don't want to end this conversation without acknowledging the brilliant work that you do around adoption. So if you don't mind, would you mind talking with us about adoption? I know that it's such a huge topic and I'm not sure whether to ask things like, what do you wish more people understood about it? What do you want people to know about adoption? Like how can they help? What if they do, if it moves them? So I'll ask you instead, what feels like the most important or the most pressing adoption topic that you would like to highlight? For me right now, the most important topic is ethics. Um, ethics and adoption just needs to be moved to the forefront of the conversation mm -hmm. uh, because it is these children deserve that they deserve for and these first moms and first families and birth moms birth they deserve for ethics to be at the forefront of everything that's being done in the adoption community and that bubbles up a lot of hard questions and topics um, but I feel like I feel like if that 
that that conversation can get centered within the adoption community, that's the best place. Outside of the adoption community, the message that I'm always trying to share with people who are just interested, curious, all of that, is that adoption is complex and it is first and foremost born from loss. And so that while mm -hmm. TV and movies and all of that have portrayed adoption in a very specific light, uh, I think that it's important to remember that it is not a Disney fairy tale. It is a child that lost their first family, their first, their mother, um, and, and a mother that lost a child. And that, just sitting with that, that should break our hearts. Um, it's not always just, it's, I think we see these adoptive families come in and we see this beautiful moment of meeting and connecting and there's just so much that happens before that and so much that happens after that. Um, and so I would love to see, and then one of the things I try to share about and, and be very honest about is the, the loss and the trauma and the difficulty in that. Um, and the second piece would be that adoption is not for everybody. Mm -hmm. And I am never have, I'm not a proponent of this idea that everybody should adopt or anything like that. But I get asked a lot because people well, they feel burdened for these children. And I obviously completely understand that, but our response to that feeling doesn't have to look the same. Uh, for me and my family, that did look like adopting and stepping out in that way. But I'm always, I just love to encourage people that um, if you feel that adoption's on your heart, like don't let me stop you, keep pressing forward. But if you know that that's not for your family, that's not gonna be your family's story, don't let that stop you from getting involved because my biggest passion in life is these vulnerable children who can do nothing to change their own circumstance. They can do nothing to pick themselves up by the bootstraps. They can do nothing to create marches and uh, GoFundMes and they can do nothing for themselves. They solely mm -hmm. require uh, and rely on responsible adults to step up and make life better for them and so whether that's through foster care um, you don't have to be a foster parent you can support foster parents you can donate time you can donate money if you have it you can donate resources food clothes things like that those are all things that are very much needed you can become a guardian ad litem and show up and support kids and through court cases uh, you can join one organization that we work a lot with is national angels and they have branches all over the country um, and they support kids in the foster care system in a couple of different ways, but they have love boxes. So you can send a monthly love box. You can be a mentor, like a big brother, big sister, almost kind of a thing. Um, but really there's over 400,000 children in the foster care system in the United States alone. And they need us. They are counting on us. The system fails them every day. Uh, we as individuals can still step up and make a difference. And even if it's one child, that is an incredible thing. And we shouldn't let that stop us that we can't change the world. We can't change everything. We can't change that whole system. It's too big, right, to, to think about. But just that one small act, that one small thing that we can do of, of bringing meals or uh, to an adoptive family or to a foster family, um, you know, signing up, doing a love box. There's so many different things that we can do to get involved in the lives of these children that does not look like adoption. Um, so don't let I, I, I never want somebody to walk away or, or look away because they think that's the only choice. I want these kids to know that they are seen. We're not looking away. We're here and we are going to show up however we can. Mm -hmm. Thank you for that. Gosh, I'll be sure to link um, to the national angels and the love box stuff and all of that in the show notes, I guess. Um, I, I, I appreciate this whole not looking away and I know my audience pretty well that their hearts are stirred and I'm wondering what supporting ethics in adoption looks like or ways we can bring that to the front or help support that idea. Um, even if that, like you said, doesn't look like us adopting a child necessarily, there's lots yeah. of other ways, but specifically with the ethics thing, I'm, 
I would be happy to be a supporter of that because I agree with that. And it feels kind of like new information to me to hear you say it. So I'm, I'm kind of wondering what I could do or any of my listeners could do to support ethics or bring the conversation of ethics and adoption forward. Yeah, you know, I think that one of the biggest areas that needs to be addressed is the fact that, and I mean, hello, I'm sitting here in that position, but Mm -hmm. the most often the people we hear from in the adoption triad, right, you have adoptive family, birth mom, and child, so there's this adoption triad. We so often hear from the adoptive parents, and in many cases, they are, you know, sort of elevated and seen as heroes, and uh, most of us, don't see ourselves that way at all. And we really need to do a better job of seeking out and listening to the voices of adoptees and birth moms. Uh, Where are they at? What are they, what are they needing? Because Mm -hmm. that's really where the support is lacking a lot. Adoptive kids are told that they should just be so grateful. And birth moms are sort of told you gave up your child and now we're done like to do and shove them to the back. And now mm-hmm. we're just going to focus on this beautiful new family uh, without recognizing, um, you know, the collateral damage involved for everybody in this process. Mm-hmm. So uh, really, you know, starting to listen to some of those voices. And a lot of times it requires seeking them out. Yeah. It requires looking for, um, you know, I follow many people on Instagram and that's sort of how I've been able to connect a lot with different voices, different opinions, different thought processes and stuff. Um, and, and beginning to really start to understand, you know, legislation and stuff like yeah. that because it's so complex. So mm-hmm. I certainly don't have all the answers, but I do think that there's just the very first step is, is, uh, is listening and sort of opening up our ears to hear that, hmm, there's more to this complex topic than just a simple uh, Disney-fied version of adoption and family. I'm going to pay attention here and see where I might be of service in some way. Mm -hmm. Thank you. I got three amazing tidbits out of that. Thank you for expanding on that and giving us the language um, for a, a way to, for us to think about it. Cause I've never really thought of it as the triad, you know, that there are the three yeah. different um, people and stories involved. And then um, thanks for highlighting the fact that we have to look at the other pieces of the triad, even though they are uncomfortable again, with that, like only wanting to look at the shiny things that we're comfortable with and can celebrate and say, yay, you know, and I, I hear you on that and that we do need to consider everybody and the truth of it. And not just like you said, projecting what we feel these people should feel, you know, whether it be shame or gratitude or whatever, because it's just so much more complex than that. And then I guess my question for you is, it makes me feel like, well, my first reaction was maybe I should have a birth mom on the show to talk about that. And if that would be helpful as a way to, to help expand our thinking and our understanding of adoption and the whole adoption process and kind of helping erase some of that shame element that I see our culture bringing to the table. Absolutely. And I'm happy to send you some recommendations of birth moms or adoptees, adult adoptees that are speaking. I follow a great uh, gentleman that is actually a therapist and he's an adoptee as well. Mm. Um, And, uh, you know, in terms of birth moms, and I think that, you know, we kind of almost have this lifetime movie vision of this woman who's like begrudgingly giving up her baby and she's going to come and try to steal it back in the middle of the night kind of a thing. Um, And that's, you know, so it couldn't be farther from mm-hmm. the picture of birth moms. And I think as mothers, we often, we, you know, I've always said, like, you would have to pry my baby from my cold, dead hands. I could never imagine following through with that. Mm-hmm. Um, so to sit with a woman who had and listen to her heart mm-hmm. and listen to, like, how truly painful and heartbreaking this is for her and then to to leave the hospital without your baby and then also leave with no support and no one that cares about you or is checking on you or anything like that. It's gut wrenching. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I could, I mean, absolutely having um, someone on that can share that perspective again, just humanizing each other and our stories and understanding that just because someone has made a decision in their life that looks different than one we think we might've made 
or a one that we can even understand, uh, sitting and listening to each other's stories is so, so powerful to connecting us and, and humanizing us to each other and really seeing, wow, okay, I don't know what I would do if that was me, but I'm just going to sit with you in this like pain and I'm going to understand that. And the next time something comes up or comes across my radar, I am not going to paint it with a broad brush. I'm going to stop and I'm going to think, you know what, I don't really know that person's circumstances or their, you know, situation. So I'm not going to make assumptions. I'm going yeah. to wait until I know more, you know? Yeah. Yes. Gosh, thank you for all of that. Thank you for adding at least two more episodes to my <laughs> lineup too, because what you're saying is so important. And I just feel like I could hug you right now. I'm not even sure what I'm going to call this episode, the episode that every mom needs to hear because all the things like it just, you're right about the humanizing. You're right about the perspective and you have such a way with words. So thank you for stepping up and using those words and using your life to be such a positive example for so many of us and especially moms because we need it just on every level of our life. So thank you for being an advocate and an awesome mom and an awesome friend is what it feels like. So oh, well, thank you thank so you. much. If listeners want to connect with you more, because I know they're going to want to and they're going to want to pick up your book, where can they find you? Yeah, so I'm this gathered nest pretty much everywhere. And my book is Love Without Borders. And that's available anywhere books are sold. You are so awesome, Angela. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you. Well, thank you. That's it for this episode of Elevating Motherhood. Thanks again for spending your valuable time with me today. I hope you found some insight and inspiration or maybe a little of both. If you like today's show, please leave a review on iTunes. I use your feedback to plan future shows and cover topics that serve you. You can also connect with me on Instagram and Facebook. Links to those accounts are in the show notes. For more information, including today's show notes, head to elevatingmotherhood.com. That's elevatingmotherhood.com. Thanks again, Mama. I appreciate you.